Welcome to Let's Talk Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes UK in Northern Ireland. Throughout this series, we'll be chatting everything diabetes with healthcare professionals, people from the Diabetes UK team and people living with diabetes in Northern Ireland. Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to Diabetes UK, Northern Ireland's podcast, Let's Talk Diabetes. The holiday festivities may have drawn to a close, but we still have one freshly wrapped gift for you to open, and that is episode 8 and the first of the Our Lives, Our Voices mini takeover. My name is Sam Cormack, the youth coordinator for the Our Lives, Our Voices project, and I'm going to be your host for the next three episodes as we'll be joined by members of Our Lives, Our Voices, focusing on topics that have been highlighted as important to the young people. For today's episode, we'll be introducing the Our Lives, Our Voices project, exploring the benefits of peer support, and the importance of looking after your well-being alongside your diabetes. But before we get stuck in, let me introduce Shandon Woody, the Our Lives, Our Voices youth worker, and Amy Stevenson, one of Our Lives, Our Voices young leaders, who are joining me today. Shan, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hi there, I'm Shan. I'm the youth worker for the Our Lives, Our Voices project. Um, I've had type 1 diabetes for 23 years now, so since I was four. And Amy? Hello, I'm Amy. I'm a young leader with Our Lives, Our Voices. I've been diabetic for 10 years. Um, I was diagnosed when I was eight, three days before my ninth birthday. And I've been with Our Lives, Our Voices since 2020, I believe. Fantastic, thank you, Amy. And yes, so Our Lives, Our Voices, you will have heard us mention that several times already, but what is Our Lives, Our Voices? So we have a project for young people aged 11 to 25, living with type 1 diabetes in Northern Ireland, and we are funded through the National Lottery Community Fund. As you will know, type 1 diabetes can be an awfully isolating condition, with so many of the young people we speak with having very little interaction with others that are going through the same thing as them. From the day of diagnosis, it can all be quite overwhelming, with so much information that you need to take on board, to readjust in your life to manage the condition and how to get used to living with it every day. Our Lives, Our Voices hope to ease some of these challenges through a variety of supports. These include peer support online and in-person events that can include away days taken in outdoor activities such as laser tag, um, archery and also we recently did a photography project with a local photography studio called Belfast Exposed. This was a great opportunity for the young people to learn new skills, but also spend time with a room full of people also living in Taiwan. Our young leaders also developed a wellbeing programme alongside two local wellbeing charities called Action Mental Health and Aware NI. And all young people who are part of our lines of voices have the opportunity to participate in the programme to develop their understanding of wellbeing and the impact that it can have living with diabetes. Young people are also so passionate about sharing uh, awareness of what life is like living in type 1 and tackling the associated stigma that so often comes with diabetes. This is achieved through attending community events and creating content that can help to inform a wider audience of diabetes and how they can just best support young people to make them feel as comfortable as possible. So, Amy, I'll come to you. I'm interested to hear what made you decide to get involved with Our Lives, Our Voices. So how did you first hear about it and what made you get involved? So I actually got a letter sent out from the Northern Trust um, and it was for an event they were advertising bowling for young people. And I went along and was told a bit more about Our Lives, Our Voices. 
this was in 2020 it was actually a week or two before COVID-19 um, lockdowns started. I think for me it was just it was good to have the support system and get to know others living with type 1 diabetes and I heard that they were looking to raise more awareness about it so that was something that I felt passionately about so I joined Fantastic. because of that. And also uh, a trip to bowling is always pretty, pretty <laughs> always good, good too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Shan, what about yourself? Was there, did you ever participate in anything similar yourself when you were growing up? Um, I guess when I was younger, which was quite a while ago, um, there wasn't really that support. Well, I guess I wasn't maybe aware of it. Um, quite regular support like that, something on the day-to-day. Um, there was summer camps that were going on, ran by Diabetes UK, but I had never partaken in any of those. I guess I was quite young. I was a bit nervous to kind of leave my family and feel a bit of responsibility of having to take care of myself, um, even though there'd be people there. But I think at the time, for me, it was just a bit too too scary. I feel that is a big concern for lots of young people and yeah. families, parents particularly, is that worry about going off, going away, especially going away from mum and dad who yeah. maybe been in real control of the diabetes on day one so I think that's an experience that a lot of people have experienced as well. So Amy as you sort of touched on there the social side of our lives our voices and the peer support is really important and that's obviously what's kept you involved for so long Um, and peer support plays such a large role in the project I'm interested to see what that really means to you and the positive impact it's had for you what's that been like? Um, yeah, being part of the project has definitely had a positive impact on me and the peer support is definitely vital in that. I joined just before COVID, as I said, so um, there was a lot more online um, meetups and kind of like social drop-ins on a weekly basis. So it was nice to have like just people a phone call away, but after COVID, it was nice to get to meet everyone face to face. I feel like it had a, a bigger, like a lot more long lasting impact. Um, just connecting with others who kind of understand what it's like. I grew up in a family and there's no one, you know, that else had diabetes. So it could have been a bit isolating, but just being in a space where it's kind of like safe to talk about it and everyone understands each other's struggles. Um, definitely just being there for each other and making friends as well. Like, I've made some great friends through Our Lives, Our Voices that I probably wouldn't have met otherwise. So it definitely has had a positive impact on me. And that's that's just amazing to hear. I think that's one of the key focuses of the project, to connect and to be there as a project. But actually, for you to develop those relationships that could mature outside the project is just really amazing to hear. Um, so you touched on the, the getting so much from the face-to-face. Do you feel that that's the best form of peer support for you or do you feel it's a good combination alongside the online stuff? I think it's a good combination. Um, like with the wellbeing programme, it often would have, it was always online. So I think it was, it depends on what kind of like event it is. If it's something like the wellbeing programme, it's easier to be run online, I think. But then if it's like the social um, meetups, and I think that's a bit easier because um, there's events like bowling and the photography exhibition things, like you said. Absolutely, I think there is. I think there's a depth of conversation that is more achievable face to face. That's my feeling anyway. Than I think online is a real tool to use because it increases accessibility for lots of people. But 
I think I completely agree. I think a combination is the best approach and that's what we're looking to do, is try and meet the support for as many people as we possibly can. So when I think of peer support myself, there's a couple of little analogies that I've heard previously that pop up. And I think they're quite, and I'll share them now, because I think they're quite good to, for people to understand and to sort of put peer support into a way that they can see. So one of our colleagues at Diabetes UK in uh, French uses a story about a the toy a lot of us had as a child. It's a big cube with lots of different shapes in this in the cube, and the idea is for the child to find the shape that fits the hole and to push it through. And we were at a conference once, and he brought this along, and he showed this to explain peer support that there's so many different options of peer support available, as we just touched on the online, the face to face. It could be the drop in session or the more focused session, but actually. They all have a benefit, they all have a place. And once you find the right one, once you find the right shape for the for the right space, it fits perfectly. And I think that's a really good way to look at peer support because actually having lots of different options can be really beneficial. And the second one is around a typical tub of table salt or cooking salt, rock salt, you can if you prefer that. How in cooking we always use salt. Salt is vital in pretty much any recipe you'll ever use. But the most important thing is that we don't want it to be overpowering. You don't want to be tasting too much salt. And that's the way that peer support can be seen. That in most situations, it's really important to have that peer support, that connection, that communication with people, with your peers. So that can be the salt in lots of situations. If it's not there, it's not quite right. We don't want it to be overpowering, but we just want it to be a nice harmony. So there are two little analogies that I think explain peer support so well. And that's why at Our Lives, Our Voices, we really promote peer support and we think it's really, really vital. I will move on, Amy, because you touched on quite lovely there around wellbeing. And obviously that's sort of a bit online. We do have a wellbeing programme and that was developed alongside, as I said before, our young leaders and Action Mental Health and Aware NI. Wellbeing can have such an impact on young people who have diabetes. Shan, I'll mm. come to you. Obviously, you've been living out with Taiwan diabetes for a long time. Mm -hmm. Do you, have you noticed it's had an impact on your mental health and your well-being? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I was growing up, I didn't experience a lot of peer support. Um, so it was quite isolating growing up, having this condition and not knowing anyone else who had this. And it's just how I, I've noticed when I'm looking after myself, it is day to day, 24 seven, you don't get a break from diabetes. So it's kind of having that constant battle sometimes because you feel like you're maybe doing everything you can and then your blood sugars just aren't playing ball with you that day. It's just not gonna, no matter what you do, no matter what you've tried and that's so tiring and it can really drain you and get frustrating. And then if you feel those emotions, that can impact your diabetes and it's kind of like a full circle thing. And I think growing up, I didn't really know anybody else who had it. So having, I wasn't able to have those conversations with people to see how they coped in situations, like especially if it was coming up to like exam times or big changes. Um, there's no one in my family with diabetes either, similar to you, Amy. So yeah, it was really challenging and it is day to day. Mm -hmm. I think you really highlight a really key point that you said around your well-being and your mental health if that's not how you want it you said it can have an impact on actually on your your diabetes and your bloods is that something that happens regularly or 
Yeah, so I definitely find if I'm stressed, then my blood sugars tend to run high. I know it can affect others differently. For some people, their sugars might run low. Um, And then it's kind of that full circle of if I'm stressed, my blood sugars are high, and I get more stressed because my blood sugars are high, and you're trying to cope with it and kind of figure out, okay, what way do I deal with this? Trying to remain calm when you're feeling stressed to try and bring it down maybe just doesn't work so much. And I think you highlighted a, a couple of um, key points sort of around exam time. They're very stressful, everyone going through that. We, we all experience that. But then again, to add in the additional type 1 diabetes, that's another thing that a lot of people just won't really be, be able to comprehend. Because yeah. they've not had experience before. That's something that needs to take precedence for you. Mm-hmm. And alongside something that's already a real challenge anyway. So I think that's... Yeah. That understanding to know that to find that fine balance to be going through that all the time, it's it can be difficult. And I think with well being and mental health as well, if you are struggling, it can be a real challenge to have to keep managing your type one diabetes. Is that something you've found, Amy? Do you if you are struggling maybe a little bit with motivation, do you ever feel that actually I really wish I had type one today? <laughs> Is that something here? Yeah, whenever it comes to uni work and assignments and things like that, um, exams as well, mm-hmm. I really struggle to get motivated to do anything and I get burnt out quite easily. And whenever I get burnt out, it's like, oh, I can't even be bothered to like test my blood sugars, give insulin. It's just thinking about all those things. Like, I think it's hard to explain because it's like something that you should just be expected to do. It takes one second to scan my Libra Dexcom it takes like 30 seconds to give insulin, yeah. but it's so much effort sometimes, especially if you're like stressed or just being burnt out, it makes it so much harder. Definitely, and I think even if you have that and you're like, it's there's the reason behind it, you're like, oh, but I have to do this. So it gets even more frustrating. Yeah. Like some people can just go to bed and not think, oh, I've left my insulin downstairs and can just go straight to sleep and it's, it may feel minor but um, it does, it takes a toll because it's every day you're going through it constantly Yeah, no break Absolutely, and it is no break and I think that's probably the one of the toughest things and probably one of the hardest things for someone without diabetes to get their head around that this is incessant, you can't have a day off and to, as you said it, you probably may, it's such a minor thing quick checking the bloods but actually having to do that every single day, numerous times every day it is a lot so we've highlighted it's really important to try and look after your well-being and mental health there. Is there some ways that you might particularly do yourselves to look after your mental health and your well-being, Sham? Yeah, I really enjoy exercise for that. And it doesn't have to be an intense gym session or anything. It's a quick walk with the dog or out with my dad for a dander or something like that, where you can just get out into fresh air, chat and kind of vent as well, but also just kind of forget about things for a while. Um, while you're out for a walk and the benefit is that it usually does have a positive impact on my blood sugars so that's also really helpful. That's really good. What about yourself Amy? Anything you do to look after your well-being? For me probably just spending time with my friends, surrounding myself with people. Again exercise, yeah, like walks and my friend and I started fencing which is a good way to get the anger out. <laughs> so <laughs> um, de-stress but no just Definitely just connecting with others definitely is what helps me. Fantastic. I know one part of our wellbeing programme does highlight the five ways to wellbeing. 
and those are to connect with others as you just highlighted there maybe that's a really good one keeping yourself physically active as you both said and this one was new skills so i think that's keeping yourself motivated learning something new and that's that achievement you get from learning a new skill the ability to give to others as well that's a that can give you really a, a good sense of well-being and purpose and the final one is pay attention to the present moment so that's sort of the mindfulness being aware of yourself how you're feeling and just keeping keeping in touch with yourself in that and if we can all someone living with type 1 diabetes or someone without if we keep those in mind i think they can always give a real benefit impact on our mental health and our well-being because we will all have struggles and it's a way that we can just keep in touch with ourselves make sure that we can just keep ourselves as mentally and physically healthy as we can definitely so we have touched a little bit on the awareness and stigma that comes with diabetes so that's another real key focus from the all eyes our voices project is around raising awareness in our local communities we want as many people to understand what yourselves are going through as much as possible and actually to be confident in challenging any stigma that comes up. One thing I'm so proud of the young people and the young leaders that are part of Our Lives, Our Voices is the confidence that I see gaining in them from actually to not only not take notice of the stigma but actually to feel confident in standing up to that and not this doesn't mean in an aggressive manner or a confrontational manner but actually to, to again share information to inform that maybe that view isn't correct and actually the impact it can have on a young person because especially someone that say is newly diagnosed and as we know with type 1 diabetes we don't currently know the the cause of that we don't exactly know why it happens but actually if someone then is sharing information that is making you feel maybe guilty, responsible, that can have a real negative impact on your well-being, your mental health, and as Chan, as you highlighted, that can then have an impact on your bloods, and it's that vicious cycle. So what we really push in Our Lives, Our Voices is, as I said, awareness and tackling the stigma. And I'll come to you, Shan. Is this something you've experienced before? Um, around stigma, around anyone having impressions about what type 1 diabetes is? Definitely, I think there is that typical view that, oh, you can't eat any sugar at all, like I'm snacking on a chocolate bar, that that's, oh my goodness, are you sure that's okay, you're not going to end up in hospital type of a thing, um, and it definitely affected me much more when I was younger. There was birthday parties and things that I just wasn't invited to because the thought that I couldn't participate in activities or um, the food that was being had, um, so that was quite annoying. Definitely more now that technology has came about. I think now people are kind of seeing it a bit more. There is adverts on TV, people have a bit more understanding, um, but I've been questioned many a times of what's that on my arm? Am I a robot? <laughs> things like that. would be pretty cool, but um, yeah, so just different things like that. Yeah, and I think way higher, the, sh- the sugar one, I think that's the most common one. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the one that probably most people have experienced at least once. Um, <laughs> And a lot of the time, it's not coming from a bad place. Yeah. And I think when you understand that, but you're going to hear that all the time, that's going to take its toll. And again, it's a little bit of uh, education. And if we can do that through just going to an event, talking about type 1 diabetes or your experience, I think that'd be really beneficial. Amy, have you had any experience with experiencing stigma? Up until like a month ago, I would have just said, similar to you, um, 
just that it was small questions like, oh, what's that on your arm? Um, one that always makes me laugh is, do I grow my own insulin? <laughs> <laughs> but last month in university, I got basically told or asked to leave a class because my blood sugar was low. So I think that was quite, I don't really know how I feel about that. Um, I felt like it was a bit of an inconvenience. My blood sugar was low and I had sat out for five minutes and come back in and the lecturer was like, you know, you don't have to stay, like, you can leave, it's okay. But I think just the way that it was worded was kind of like, if you stay, I don't really know how to deal with it. Like, just, like, would you not be better leaving? Okay, so you made me feel that her potential lack of understanding a tight one maybe potentially made her nervous, so she was thinking it might be easier yeah. if you if you went there, if you went off and dealt with it somewhere else. Yeah, like, I don't think it would have been a distraction to others. Um, I had friends in the class who knew what was going on, but I think in a way it was just kind of like, oh, I don't know what's happening, go deal with it somewhere else. Okay. So I left the class and went and sat in um, one of like the common areas, the student union building of my university, and just got myself like a fizzy drink. Mm. But mm. my blood sugar was fine. But I did leave by myself, and I wasn't feeling well. I was quite dizzy. I would have been able to fix my blood sugar in the classroom. So yeah, and it probably would have been safer in the classroom yeah. rather than you having to go walk somewhere by yourself. I'm sure she came from the right place, looking out for me. Just didn't really know what was going on, but I think that is the lack of awareness around type one diabetes. I think if she had asked me in kind of more technical, like even if she worded it differently and was like, "Oh, are you okay? Do you need anything? Mm-hmm. Do you want to just sit out for a few minutes and like see how it goes?" Rather than just saying, oh, like you can go home, it's fine. You don't have to stay. But I think it was just because of how it was worded, it came across wrong to me. Yeah, and you felt maybe the potential pressure to leave. Yeah. Which, as you had out there, if you're going in uh, experience a high pole, that could actually be really quite dangerous, as Sheldon said that. So obviously that's where it'd be much better for you to be around people as you treat it. Yeah, so if definitely. Absolutely. So if you weren't able or you needed that support, Someone better rather than you actually moving and having to walk however far it was to the, the union. Um, and I think that is something that has been experienced by lots of people. It's as you said, it's, I don't think there was an intention in that. I think she probably was trying to potentially give you privacy to, to manage it. But actually in that, she then increased the potential risk to yourself and you're in that vulnerable state already so actually not wanting to bring too much attention on yourself you yes you took that option to leave and that increased the risk so and I think that perfectly highlights what we hope to achieve from spreading awareness is so more people so maybe next time that lecturer would be able to recognize what was happening to you to speak with you to say I identify I see what's happening are you able to manage that or you, you stay here but let me know if you need anything. And like you said, you could have you could have managed that in class and then carried on the lecture. Yeah, it would have been so much easier than just her having been like, oh, just go deal with it somewhere else. Definitely. Yeah, and that's quite frustrating though as well for you. I think some like having to go out by yourself. I feel like in school, if somebody had something happened that was like physical, like if they had a nosebleed or something, you're always sent off with someone else. But kind of leaving you to go deal with that yourself, and you're feeling. 
of as you say you had dizziness and my, my vision goes completely blurred when I'm low so um just it's just the danger and as you say like the risk that can come with that but it is obviously that lack of understanding of maybe what goes with that and it can take quite a while for your blood sugars to come back to normal um, and for dizziness or vision to come back so being away for that length of time it would have been better to have someone with you yeah, yeah definitely so Shan what advice would you maybe or what information would you pass on to that lecturer and you think of maybe for Amy it could be another student and what advice would be used to that lecturer to know to manage next time definitely I think it's definitely checking in with the young person themselves so what's going to suit them because for some people they might be completely comfortable to sit in the lecture hall and have their jelly babies and things and wait till their blood sugar comes back to normal or they might want to nip off with a friend for a couple of minutes to maybe treat the hypo when they are maybe outside of the room so I think it's definitely personal preference um, and just having that kind of understanding ensuring that the young person isn't feeling like a burden because it's a scary situation when your blood sugars go low and it's something that like as a person living with type 1 you don't want to happen when you're out and about with people it does feel quite embarrassing and you kind of just want to take that kind of oh everyone's looking at me <laughs> um, away so if someone can come over and have that kindness and an understanding it would be so much more helpful. I think that was really interesting so would you appreciate in a, in a in say a similar situation scenario or when you're experiencing a hypo, someone to go in doing something as simple as saying this is okay, as you said you're not a burden or don't worry about it, these things happen, deal with it, do what you need to do, ask me if you need some help. Something that small, no, so not actually offering practical support, but just saying actually this is okay, don't worry about this, you're not a burden. Would that, that really help? I think it would make me feel better about it. Definitely. I think we know how to treat our um, low blood sugars and we are in control of it, but it is having that support when you're going through that situation. Yeah, like, I know how to, like, fix my blood sugar. Like, I know mm-hmm. it's just really just a waiting game. I'll eat or drink something and then it's just kind of knowing that, like, they don't think I'm an inconvenience sitting there um, and just even letting someone aware of it as well just so that they know rather than like them needing to help me mm-hmm. just like a wee bit of reassurance would be nice yeah. and I think that's I think sometimes people have such a panic worry that you're going to say the wrong thing that you're going to offend someone that by getting involved it might make it this situation worse but what we're saying uh, one of our takeaways is check in ask make sure they're feeling okay Obviously, you're the experts, and I always say that it's you know your diabetes. You're in it, each person's journey with type one is so unique. You have different ways of managing it. You're you're the experts. But actually, just sort of that quick check in. You're okay. You're managing it. That might that might actually really help and make you feel a bit more comfortable and secure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a really good takeaway. And I think that sounds fantastic. And as I move on to takeaways, we'll look at a little bit of the legacy. So Our Lives, Our Voices is a, it was a five-year project and we're coming towards the end of that with our current funding. And the legacy part of it is something that's really keen because we don't want this just to end. We want there to be a lasting legacy. So I'll pose it to both of you. What would you like the legacy of Our Lives, Our Voices to be in Northern Ireland? So Shan, what, what legacy would you like to see? 
Yeah, I'd like to say the understanding of what type 1 diabetes is to continue um, to grow. I know compared to obviously when I was first diagnosed ages ago <laughs> that it has come on leaps and bounds um, and that has been such a great help from the young leaders and the young people that if that can continue and we can keep progressing that, that would be brilliant. Amazing. And Amy? Um, I think I would just like to make sure that people know that there are positives of living with type 1 diabetes. Like being part of Our Lives of Voices has really helped me come to better terms with my condition. I think just the support that is there for you. Like before I found out about Our Lives of Voices, I wasn't in a great place with my diabetes. I wasn't happy with it at all. And Our Lives of Voices has just really made it a lot more, like having a lot more of a positive outlook on things. And I would just like that positivity to kind of grow. I think if that can happen, we can achieve that. That would make this whole project worthwhile. And I think, to be honest, the fact that you're feeling like that makes it worthwhile anyway. I think if we've made a journey for yourself or anyone else that's currently part of our lives, our voices a little bit easier, I think that's a huge achievement. And that's what this whole project was designed to do. Intention just to make those tough days a little bit easier, to give you those skills, those tactics that you can put in place so when you're having a battle with your diabetes because it can be a bit of a battle at times I know that to actually be confident in managing it and just to keep achieving to keep going through life and hitting those goals and targets that we all have and you have to have diabetes on like so what that's not going to stop you and if we can help in any other way I think that's amazing and I think that's a really nice point to end on there Amy so I'm going to thank both of you Amy and Shan for joining me today and thank you to all for listening. If you are a young person or a parent of a young person with type 1 diabetes and what we spoke about today sounds interesting and you'd like to be a part of Our Lives, Our Voices, you can contact us at ourlivesourvoices at diabetes.org.uk. And if you have a particular subject which you'd love to hear about on this podcast series, please send us a message via social media at diabetesukni or send us an email using the address found in the episode notes. Well, it leads me to say thank you all so much and I look forward to you joining us for the next episode in Let's Talk Diabetes podcast series. Oh, and before we go, as we do on every episode, I'll ask you both if you've got any one top tip to a young person with type 1 diabetes, what would that be? So, Sham, come to you first. Yep, mine would be to be brave, take the opportunities to get to know others um, who are living with type 1 it is so beneficial getting to chat to people who experience things that you do day to day. And Amy? Kind of linking in. Yeah, just don't let it control you. Um, don't let it stop you from doing anything. You know, don't feel like, oh, I can't do that because I'm diabetic. Because that mindset isn't, it's not the right one. You can do anything you want. Just it's an extra part of you. But don't let it control you. Thanks for joining us on Let's Talk Diabetes. Remember to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you want to hear more from Diabetes UK Northern Ireland, follow us on social media at Diabetes UK NI.